Thank you so much for visiting us online today. We believe God wants to speak to you through the following message. If you would like to connect with us or send us your prayer request, visit us at kingsgatehobs.com. Father, we love you. I trust you. I lean on you. I ask you, Holy Spirit, speak through me. Give me your words. I trust you and I need you. Open every heart, open every eye to see your cross today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so normally when I prepare, I have a lot of fun preaching. I tell a lot of stories and tell a lot of jokes, and I just have a lot of fun. Today, though, we are going to talk about the cross of Jesus. And I'm going to be real honest with you. This has been a heavy one for me to prepare for, not in a bad way, in a good way. I've had a fresh encounter with Jesus myself at the cross. Um, But today, I'm going to ask you to do something. You know, a lot of times we love to look at the resurrection, I went to Israel, and I loved walking into that empty tomb and standing in this empty tomb of victory, right? I loved standing there and, and seeing it. We love Easter. We love to celebrate the resurrection because it's, it's what our freedom is based on. It's what our, our victory is based on and all of that. But, and, and, but we don't really like to look at the cross, to really look at the cross. So today I'm going to ask you, it's going to be a little heavy. It's going to be, there's going to be moments you're going to be like, Jen, please stop. But I'm going to talk to you about the cross today, and I'm going to challenge you and ask you to just look at the cross and remember what he really did, because really with, without the cross, there would be no empty tomb. And so a lot of times we want to look at the victory, but we don't want to look at the suffering. We want to celebrate the victory, and we want to celebrate what God has done, but we forget there was suffering and there was a price that was paid. And so as I was preparing this message today, the word that God spoke to me <laughs> in the line at Starbucks of all places, I was, I was kind of having one of those mornings where I was frazzled and frustrated and feeling like I couldn't get my sermon and I couldn't, and I was like, that's it, I'm going to Starbucks. <laughs> so I went to Starbucks and there was this huge long line and I thought, this is perfect. I'm going to just sit in line, put on my worship, and wait it out. And as I did in, in my car, God spoke to me so clearly and I just began to cry in my car. And he spoke to me the word blameless. And when he spoke to me this word, I thought, oh, great, this is great. I can talk to them about how Jesus has made them blameless, which is true. And we are going to talk about that, about how the cross of Jesus is what paid the price for us to stand blameless before God. But then he said, "Uh uh-uh, I want you to remind them that Jesus was the blameless, spotless, innocent, guiltless Lamb of God. And so today we're going to think about him. We're going to talk about him. And yes, in in, in understanding what he did, we're going to understand our freedom, but I really want to remember what Jesus did. Let's look at the definition of blameless. Innocent of wrongdoing, free from moral wrong, not corrupted. And so when we hear blameless, spotless Lamb of God, if you've been raised in church, if you've heard this phrase, then it's kind of become empty to you, right? It kind of just becomes another term. And if you're not raised in church, if you're new to this whole Christian thing and you hear blameless, spotless Lamb of God, you're like, what? That sounds so weird. Some of the things we say in church sound so weird to the world, right? Like, the Lamb of God was slain and his blood sets me free. You're like, what? (laughs) Like, They talk about church, they talk about blood up in the church a lot. Well, we're going to talk about why. God created Adam and Eve, the story of humanity. He created Adam and Eve perfect in his image for what? What did he create Adam and Eve for? 
to walk with him for fellowship. He didn't create them to do things for him. He created them to be with him, to walk with him, and they did. They walked with him in this perfect, wonderful environment of the garden until the, the serpent came along and said, what? What did he say? Did God really say that the da, 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 da? Did God really say don't eat from that tree? Did God really say don't commit that sin? Did God, now think about this personally. Ask yourself, how, have there been areas of your life where you have thought, kind of a gray area. Did God really say, I think I could probably get away from that. I can get away with that. God knows my heart. Did God really say? And that was the question that the enemy asked, and that was the question that caused them to eat of the fruit. And so they ate of the fruit because what? They, they had everything perfect. They had everything they needed, but they decided to look elsewhere. There has to be more. There has to be something else. And I'm going to tell you something. Since that moment in time, their eyes were open, those of you who know, their eyes were not open to more beauty like the serpent said. Oh, no, you'll be like God. You'll see like God. You'll no, their eyes were not open to more beauty. Their eyes were open to shame. And I remember the first, I, I'll take really quick a, a bullet point of my story. I was raised in church, missionary's kid, went to an internship at an early age, served God, and I fell into sin in my, in, my, in my late teens, early 20s, and I got into a really bad, wrong relationship. And when I moved to Hobbs 20-something years ago, I was full of shame. Like, thought that it was over, that I would never know Jesus again. And in this moment, their eyes were open to shame, but the thing is, is that God knew that he had to provide a way for the shame to be paid for. And so here's the story. I'm going to give you, the, you, if you read the Old Testament, right? I, man, you get into Leviticus, and it's like, <laughs> he, they had to find the spotless lamb. They had to bring it. They had to make sure the altar was just right. They had to make sure it was this length and this high and this tall and this wide and this day of the week and this and that and this and that and this and that. And they had to cut it this way and all this way. And so there had to be a sacrifice provided for the lamb. I mean, for the shame and for the sin, right? Well, God said, okay, let's provide a spotless, blameless lamb who will do two things, full and complete and ultimate surrender. These are two things that happened on the cross, full, complete, ultimate surrender, the laying down of his will, the laying down of his self, the laying down of his way, full surrender, and the ultimate perfect sacrifice. The ultimate perfect sacrifice for all time. And you know, since that moment where Adam and Eve sinned, the world has been chasing blamelessness. We, you, me, we are chasing blamelessness. The world, you can turn on the news or a TV show for five seconds, and the world is trying so hard to make their sin look blameless and sound blameless. We're trying so hard to chase a feeling of blamelessness that the world will even tell you your holiness and innocence is is a lie is wrong is judgment is critical and my wokeness is blamelessness and that's not the truth i'm gonna tell you the truth this morning because we got to get our hearts right before we can pastor daphne is going to preach on identity and righteousness my mom's going to preach on generational legacy adrian's going to talk about inner healing but before we can get any of that stuff done 
we got to get our hearts right before Jesus. And so the world is chasing. We're trying to feel blameless. I know I was in my sin and my mistakes. We, we try so hard to feel blameless. But the only way to be blameless is to encounter and live in response to the cross. Not just encounter it once. Not just, oh, yeah, I, I wear a cross and I love the cross and the cross is wonderful and I, I, I saw the passion once. And No, living in response to the cross. And I remember at an encounter retreat in Rio Doso when I encountered the cross afresh and anew at the age of 20. It shook me to my core. And since that moment, I have lived in response to the cross, not in response to religion or what I was taught in church or what my parents taught me or what I knew in my head, but in response to what Jesus did on the cross. That is where blamelessness comes from. And it doesn't mean I'm perfect. I'm not. I make mistakes. I made mistakes this morning. We're not perfect. We will never be perfect. But that's the beauty of the perfect sacrifice of the blameless, spotless lamb of God. So do we understand now what the Lamb of God means? For those of you who are new up in the house, the Lamb of God was the perfect sacrifice to pay for our sins. Okay, so let me tell you the story. It started in a garden. And Jesus went to this garden, and y'all, this was called the Garden of Gethsemane. And I don't know if y'all know this or not, but it was, an, it was surrounded by olive trees. It was an olive tree grove. And for, for those of you who don't know, probably many of you do, an olive is where they produce oil for the anointing. And so Jesus went to this Garden of Gethsemane, and this was actually one of the locations where they would come and they would create olive oil from the olives that were growing on these trees. The way that olive oil was created was that it had to be crushed. You can't have oil out of an olive unless it's crushed. Well, olives actually have to be crushed three times in order to produce oil. And so for those of you who know the story of Jesus going to the garden and praying and asking the Father, please, Lord, if, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Whenever he's praying that and he goes back to the disciples and he says, hey, pray with me. Would you, would you tarry with me? Would you pray with me? And he goes back to pray and he comes back and they're asleep. Hey, wake up. Would you pray with me? And he goes back to pray and he comes back and they're asleep. He does this three times, and that represents the three times that the olive was crushed. His will was being crushed. And the garden is the moment that the, his, his emotional, his anxieties, his, his emotional pain was being surrendered. And let's look at Mark chapter 14, verse 32 through 42. They went to the olive gr grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he, began, he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here with me and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. And he is our perfect example of a life of surrender. 
what was happening, we've read before that, his, that Jesus actually sweated blood. And what was happening in that moment was something called hemarthrosis. There's only, this has only been documented 12 times in all of medical history for the entire history of the world. This has only been documented to happen 12 times. And it's when someone goes through extreme anguish and grief and emotional pain. And so this was the moment that he was going through what we might taste just a little bit of, the emotional grief that you faced, the anguish, the loss, the, the turmoil, the torment in your mind, the things that you have been through, the things that you struggle with emotionally, this was Jesus paying the price for that to set us free from that. So the next thing that happened was Judas shows up with his folks, and this was the betrayal. And I'm just going to tell you this story about Jesus, and I want you to think about him. He was a real man. Yes, he was God, but he was also 100% man. And so he felt this. In fact, medical doctors have proven that Jesus never went into shock. So he felt everything. He felt every ounce of this from the moment he was in the garden and he started sweating blood and this deep anguish in his soul and this deep surrender of laying down his life to the moment he died on the cross. He felt every moment. And let me tell you something. Yes, he was God and yes, he was Jesus, but he felt it when Judas showed up and kissed him on the cheek. He felt it when Judas showed up with a bunch of people ready to, to, to falsely accuse him, tear him down, mock him, shame him, murder him. Can you imagine? Y'all, can you imagine if I'm in here and one of my team members walks in and kisses me on the cheek and they lead me away to torment and torture and mock me and murder me? Like, we think we've been through betrayal. But I'm not trying to belittle your betrayal because the truth of the matter is your betrayal, the betrayal that you've been through, it matters to God. The Bible says that he holds your tears in a bottle. And that betrayal that you have felt from a loved one, from a spouse, from a fiance or a boyfriend or a mom or a dad or a best friend, the, the knife that goes into your heart and twists, he has felt that. And you are not alone in that. And the beauty about this is, and it's okay, y'all, it's okay if you cry right now. Don't hold back. You might cry. You know what? This, this is the kind of message I expect you to cry all the way through, some of you. And that's okay. I cried through the whole thing when I was preparing it. But this is the kind of betrayal that people don't recover from. You know, and sometimes we go through things in life and we think, I, I'm not going to recover from that one. That one got me. That one got me good, and I'll, I, I've got walls up. I've got, I've, I'm going to protect myself. I'm never going to let that happen again. We're talking about Jesus, the one who the Bible says when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd, lost and confused. We're talking about the man who had reached down and touched the lepers, the ones who were untouchable, the ones who were, the ones who were in ultimate shame and, and being cast out of, of, of the community of people, he touched them. And here comes Judas, one of, the, one of his wingmen. You know, I always got my wing woman, my wing women, my team, my people. I got my girls, I got my homies, I got my roll dogs. And these were the men who he trusted and who he taught and who he ate with. These are the ones that after the crowds left, he said, hey, come away with me for a little bit. Come away, let's get away from the crowds. These were his people, his friends. And he just went through, number one, they were sleeping while he prayed. But number two, here comes Judas, and he kisses him on the cheek. And with that kiss, his murderers took him away. 
So then after Judas, we move on to the judgment. Let's look at Mark chapter 15, Vali, and faith. Very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. Then the leading priest kept accusing him of his many crimes. And Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer them? What, are, what about these charges that they're making against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at the time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Would you like me to release you, the king of the Jews, Pilate asked? For he realized by now that the leading priest had arrested Jesus out of envy. So he knew. He knew. He knew Jesus was blameless. But at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. Why? Pilate demanded. And that's the question that I ask when I'm looking at the cross, when I'm studying the cross, when I'm meditating on the cross, I'm like, why? Why? For you and for me. Because he loved us that much. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Falsely accused. Have you ever been falsely accused? Have you ever felt like you were standing in front of a, I mean, not literally, but have you ever felt like you were standing in front of a crowd and being falsely accused? Being misunderstood? Being called something that you're not? Being, being someone twisting the truth about you and saying something, and you're like, I didn't mean it that way. Have you ever felt falsely accused? And then we're not even blameless. But here he is, the blameless one, being falsely accused. So let's move on to the next thing. It says, we, we read about it. It says that he ordered him to be flogged. It wasn't just like, it wasn't just like a little whip, guys. If you raised in church, you always heard about the cat of nine tails. The cat of nine tails was a, a whip that the Romans, you see, the, the Romans were, they were trained murderers and torturers. And they weren't trying to kill Jesus. They wanted to hurt him. They wanted to torture him. In fact, I don't know if y'all know this, but the legal limit for the lashes that the Romans were allowed to give was 40. And how many did Jesus receive? 39. The blameless one. The innocent one. The soldiers that they used to do this, they picked the biggest guys in the regiment. They were like NFL football players. These guys were big. And it was a cat of nine tails. It had nine, nine uh, tails, and they tied on it sheep and goat bone because of the way that it was shaped. This is gonna, I'm gonna get, it's going to be a little gruesome, y'all. Bear with me. But because of the way that it was shaped, every time that they would hit him, 
he was the, the, the strong soldier was able to flick his wrist just right. And they say that it would pull out, I studied this through a doctor's perspective, it would pull out about an inch of muscle every time that it hit. Because they would flick it and it would pull it out. And y'all know why they did this? Because it was funny. The Romans thought it was funny to prepare these men that were being whipped, to prepare Jesus to hang on a cross so that the birds would come and eat their flesh. The blameless one. The guiltless one. All because he was dying for our sin, for our shame, for me. Not I want you to think about it this morning. I want you to think for me. Not for somebody else. For me. This was actually the worst punishment the Romans could possibly invent for the absolute worst criminals. That's what it was for. And they used it on Jesus, the blameless one. So the lashes started at the top of his shoulders and went all the way down the back of his arms, the back of his back, the back of his legs. Some of them probably caught him on the face. He received 350 wounds because there were nine tails, 39 lashes, over 350 wounds. Each wound was two inches long and about an inch deep. Each wound would require 20 stitches. So he would require a total of 2,000 stitches at the end of this. The blameless one. After he was flogged, he was completely and utterly unrecognizable. Isaiah 52, 14 says, But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was even a man. His lips were shredded. His teeth were knocked out. Have you ever felt unrecognizable? Have you ever felt like you've lost yourself to the point that you don't even know yourself anymore? Have you ever felt like you, you woke up one morning and you thought, who am I and what am I even doing here? Have you ever felt like you woke up one morning and you thought, I shouldn't have even been there last night? Have you ever felt unrecognizable to the people who know you who are looking around going, Jen, what are you doing? unrecognizable to yourself, the blameless, spotless one. Why? Why did he receive those stripes? Why? For our healing. We know the verse. We've all said it. We know it. By his stripes, we were healed. And I'm going to be real honest with you. For me personally, in this season of my life, this is the one I needed to be reminded of. Because I need some healing in my body. And I... I want to be real honest and real with you. I'm a pastor, <laughs> but I am very human. And we struggle with different areas of unbelief. Sometimes we struggle to believe God for finances. Sometimes we struggle to believe God for healing. Sometimes we struggle to believe God, you know, to remove our shame and our guilt. Whatever different areas are, we have our little areas of weakness. And for me, it's healing. And I am determined today, I'm going to get some fresh revelation that this wasn't for nothing. This wasn't just a good story. This was for my healing. And you know what? It wasn't. This is the thing. Sometimes I f think we forget. 
This was for my healing right now in 2023 in Hobbs, New Mexico. When he did this, it was for this moment. This moment. And so if you struggle to believe for your healing, this moment was for your healing. Keep believing. Keep standing. Keep going back to the cross. Keep remembering. Keep confessing. Keep being determined to believe for your healing. I am. I'm going to get my healing. All right, so moving on, the next thing was the crown. Uh, a box arrived at my house last week. And when I opened it, I just, I just it took my breath away. When we hear the crown of thorns, we don't think this. But it's been historically proven that every crown was two inches long. This is actually a crown from Israel from the land where Jesus was crucified. Let's read that verse, Bali. I don't want to miss this. Mark chapter 15, verse 16. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard. Listen to this. They took him into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe and they wove thorn branches onto a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. The entire regiment, they didn't have to do that. Why? Why? He was acquainted with our sorrows. He was acquainted with our grief. He was shamed. He was naked. He was beaten. And then now they're going to bring everybody out, put a crown on him. And they, at this moment, you know what they were mocking? They weren't just mocking him. They were mocking his divinity. They were mocking God. And how many of you who are saved and ha- are living for God have felt mocked by your family or mocked by some jerk at work? Or you've, stood, or you've been at dinner and you're the only one not engaging in some of the activities for a work party or for something or for a family party or everybody's getting around doing their thing and you're like, no, thank you, and you're mocked for it and you're criticized for it. He knew what that felt like too. They put this on his head and then they took a reed and they beat it. Like, if I touch this right now, it'll draw blood. This thing is for real, for real sharp. I'll leave it up here if you all want to see it later. They took a reed and they hit him until it went into his skull. They stripped him naked, put on a purple robe, and they were mocking his authority and his divinity. But guess what, guys? Man, these are the men. And when he was on the cross later, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is the heart of Jesus. He wasn't just saying that like, Oh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do for Beatrice, who's going to be in the twenty in the 2000s. Or for, you know, someone who's going to live 100 years from now. No, he was saying it for the men who had just brutally beaten, mocked, made fun of, and tortured him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let's move on to the next thing in the story. So here, they put the purple robe back on him. He's got the crown. You can't tell he's even human. 
You can't even recognize him. He's got his stripes without his back. His wounds are exposed. His blood is, he's, at this point, he's completely covered and caked in blood. And then they give him his own cross and say, here, this unfinished piece of wood. This isn't a smooth, beautiful, like, it doesn't look like that, guys. This is an unfinished piece of wood, a plank, that weighed about 150 pounds. I'm not trying to call anybody out, but who weighs about 150 pounds? Okay, would you stand for just a second? We wish, right? No. <laughs> okay, so imagine I've been beaten from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. I've been tortured. I've been up all night praying and surrendering and laying down my, my will. I've been in deep anguish. And now I'm going to pick Daphne up, and I'm going to carry her on my back. 150 pounds of unfinished wood. Thank you. And the reason I wanted to bring her up here is to give you a visual. We were the ones he was carrying. This, this worship that we sang earlier, this freedom that we sing about waking up today with peace, waking up tomorrow with peace if you don't have peace today, knowing you're forgiven, knowing that you've been given a new life and a new beginning, all of that is because of this. He picked up that crossbar, unfinished on that back. Imagine what that felt like. And he carried it. They say he carried it for about three quarters of a mile until he collapsed. And Simon came and helped him carry it the rest of the way. I'm going to ask you to remember every wound for just a few more minutes the crown maybe that maybe that's you maybe it's your mind maybe it's your mind that needs healing the lashes on his back for physical healing maybe you need physical healing in your body carrying the bar carrying the weight the shame the public Mockery, wrongly accused, all of this for the blameless one, the spotless one. And then he gets to the cross, and let's look at Mark chapter 15, verse 24. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. Here's the thing. These weren't nails that you used to hang pictures in your house. These were the nails. These were the nails. You can pass it around. The Romans were trained killers. And they knew if they sent this through the, the wrist in just the right way, he would die immediately because there's an artery there. They knew to avoid that artery to make sure that he died slowly. They didn't want him to die quickly because, remember, this was not about killing Jesus. This was about publicly humiliating him and mocking God. And this was about torturing him. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice. Here they are, making a mockery of him again. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was 9 o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. 
the sign announced the charge against him. It read, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. Ooh, let me go back. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. I'm going to tell you something about this story. None of us are exempt. None of us are exempt. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So this crucifixion was the sinner hanging on the cross next to him that actually deserved, not necessarily this treatment, but deserved for his crimes, all the way from that to the religious leaders and the teachers that were in the temple who had hearts of envy and jealousy and pride and impurity. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. Is that it, Faith? So even the ones who were on the cross ridiculed him. So those same hands that had touched the leper, that had gathered the orphans, the same hands that the little boy came and said, here, Jesus, I've got these five loaves and these two fish. Those same hands that broke the bread and fed the multitude. Boy, that multitude was real happy when they were eating his bread. That multitude was real happy when he was healing their sick and setting the, de- setting the, the, the demon-possessed free. That crowd was real happy when, someone, when he would walk by and touch and somebody's deaf ears would be open or blind eyes would be open. Boy, they were, really, they were really followers of Jesus in that moment. But where were they? Suddenly, their hearts changed towards him, and they were yelling, crucify him. Those same hands, those are the hands that got nailed to that cross. Those same feet that walked on water. Those same feet that walked from village and village, from town to town, ministering from sunup to sundown, loving people, walking with people in their hardship, walking to people's houses to, to heal the sick and raise the dead. Those same feet were nailed to the cross. And then he was hanging on the cross. The thing about hanging on the cross was, this was, again, I say it, this was not necessarily a, a way to kill someone quickly. This was a way to torture them. And so he hung on the cross, and he was able to take a breath. But he couldn't exhale because of the way he was hanging. And so every breath, he had to push up on nailed feet. He had to push up. Every time he needed to take a breath. Now remember his back. Remember his exposed, wounded back. Remember his, all of his weight is being pushed up on, that, on those nailed legs. He felt every ounce of this pain. But you know what I was thinking about when I was preparing this? Imagine how much it cost him to say the words he said on the cross. 
if he couldn't even breathe, imagine what it cost him to look over at the sinner on the cross next to him and say, today you will be with me in paradise, to offer that forgiveness in that moment. His words on the cross cost him everything. (laughs) He could have easily been like, I probably would have rolled my eyes at the guy. Like, dude, dude, I I can't help you right now. (laughs) I got nothing to give you right now, bro. But he looked over and he listened in that moment. The same, we just read it. This thief ridiculed him when he first got put on the cross. Then later, this guy decides, wait, 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 Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And Jesus takes the moment in his suffering to look and to see. And not only did he look and he saw, but he also offered forgiveness. And every word he spoke cost him everything. What else did Jesus say on the cross? He asked God, why have you forsaken me? Mm. You know why he felt that way? He was taking upon himself this part I can't even begin to fathom. You know, you know how it feels when you make a mistake? I don't know about y'all, but as a kid, I was like one of those really repentant kids. I would tell a lie, and then I'd come back and be like, Mom, I lied. Like, I couldn't, I just, I just, I just don't do well with guilt. It's not a good look for me. Have you ever done something wrong, and you felt the, you felt the weight of that sin? You felt that ick? You just, like, you just felt it? The Bible says that Jesus took upon himself the sin of all time. And it wasn't like the little white lie that the kid tells her mom. We're talking about like the sin of the whole world. All the ugly. All the stuff we don't want to see. Every prison that's full of prisoners and all of the wrong that's been committed in the entire world for all time, he took it upon himself. Imagine what that felt like, the weight of what that felt like. And he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And then another thing he said on the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we think, oh, he said it because he was Jesus. He said it because he was perfect. He said it was because he was just this perfect, compassionate, wonderful man. Yeah, but he was also a man who was suffering, and he took a moment to say that. Took a moment to look at the thief. And then he also, at the end, and this is the, this is the part you get to rejoice in for the rest of the day, is he said, it is finished. Whew. He said, it is finished. And when he said, it is finished, it represented you and me and my life and your life and the sins, maybe the sins of your parents, maybe the sins of generations who have gone before you and you're like, I can't get free from all that stuff that everyone just expects to come down onto me and my kids. No, he said, it is finished. And Daphne and my mom and Adrian are going to expound on all that today. But today, we get to rejoice in the fact that it is finished. But we don't get to do that until we come to the cross and encounter the cross and live in response to the cross. And then at the very end, I'm going to just share this and then I'll close. There was the spear. And the Romans, like I said earlier, they were trained killers and they 
found this funny and entertaining. This is, they were wicked, wicked men. And they found this entertaining. And so what they would do is they would, the plan and what the way that they did crucifixion is they would just leave someone hanging as long as it took until they had something else they needed to do or until it was inconvenient for them. They would literally just leave them there for the birds to eat them. They, Jesus was reduced to nothing but a piece of flesh to the Romans. This is the blameless, spotless Lamb of God. This is the salvation, this is the Savior of the world. And so what they would do is they would come and they would break the criminal's legs, which would cause them to fall, and they would suffocate. That's the way that they would kill them. They didn't die from hanging on the cross. They would die when the soldiers finally came to break their legs. When they came to Jesus, he was already dead. Why is that significant? Because he gave his life. No one took it from him. No one took it. The Romans didn't take his life. Pilate didn't take his life. The people didn't take his life. He willingly laid it down. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? Let's go back to the garden. Walking with you and me in perfect relationship because he was the perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect, blameless, spotless lamb. And when that spear went into his side, they said that the Romans drove a spear into his side to make sure he was dead. Blood and water flowed. And there's a lot of different discussions about this, but doctors will tell you that's not normal. And I was reading a commentary. I've got to quote him because I don't want to take credit. Matthew Henry's commentary about this. He explains that the blood represented justification and the water represented sanctification. Now, those are two really big churchy words. The blood was for remission and water was for regeneration. Another two big fancy church words. But here we go. Blood was for the payment of the sin and water was for the purification of the sin. So your sin was paid for, but not only was it paid for, it was then washed away. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, and I know that's far because I'm from the east coast and now I live in the west. <laughs> as far as the east is from the west, as far as you can go into space, as far, as far, as far as you can go, as far as the east is from the west, so has he removed our sins from us. So your sin, your shame, your public ridicule, your guilt, this, those of you who are like, what is this church thing even about? What is this Jesus thing? Why are they so excited? Why are they jumping during worship? What is happening? This is why. Because we have all been forgiven, washed, clean, redeemed, forgiven, healed, set free. And today, I'm going to tell you, I'm feeling this very strong right now. Some of you, your job today is going to be to forgive yourself. Because Jesus has already forgiven you. He's already paid the price. It's finished. It's done. It was done on the cross. He did the ultimate sacrifice, the complete ultimate surrender. He did it. He finished it. It's done. But now the pro what usually what's holding you back now is you have to let go of the shame yourself. You got to forgive yourself and move forward into everything God has for you. So the theme verse for today as I close, and I didn't give this to the girls, so I'm going to give them a second. It's Genesis 16, 13. And this is the story of Hagar when she encounters God. 
and she says, you can also look at your, um, your printed schedule here. We, we can just read it together off of here, too. She said, you are the God who sees me. And then she said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? This is something my team and I have really been meditating on. And I want you, if you would, guys, go ahead and turn down the lights. As we go through the day today, I want you to get a revelation that you, you are seen by God. He is the God who sees you right in the middle of your circumstance. You, might, you may be on a mountaintop today. Good. I'm so glad you're in a season of mountaintop. But you might be in a season of brokenness. You might be in a season where you're in between and you're just waiting. Know that God sees you just like he saw the thief on the cross. But then I want to challenge you to go a little bit deeper and ask yourself, have I truly seen the one who sees me? Have I truly seen him? Have I seen what he's done for me? Do I know him? And have I seen him in a true and real way? So what we're going to do is here in a second, they're going to start a video. And I am not going to do a fancy altar call. Here's what's going to happen. They're going to start a video. And as it plays, when and if you feel ready, you can come and kneel at this altar. If you want prayer, someone will come and pray with you. But as you feel led, come to the altar and encounter the cross.